0: Well, praise the Lord. Just wonderful to be here in church this morning. I really do love preaching. I really do enjoy it. I really look forward to it. We started last week from Mark chapter number 8. Can you still hear me? Okay, sorry. I felt like I lost something. All right, I'll trust you to work with the volume, but it sounds like it's coming through good and everybody can hear me. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Another new thing that I'm getting used to is this microphone. Last week, we began from Mark chapter number 8, the sermon entitled, For My Sake and the Gospels. We took our text verses from verse number 34 and 35. That's where Christ said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the Gospels the same. Shall save it. And I think this morning we're going to do more of just working our way towards that text, and maybe next week actually getting to the heart of the message. But the whole chapter is giving context to what leads up to those two verses. It was a time of great miracles, Mark chapter number 8. The first 10 verses was the miracle where he took seven loaves and fed 4,000 people. Then we read Christ having a discussion with his disciples. And then in verse number 22, they brought a blind man to Jesus and he healed his eyes. But Christ was trying to teach his disciples that following him would not always be popular. It would not always be safe. As a matter of fact, the time was coming when extremely soon you would be persecuted for being a follower of Jesus Christ, and not only that, but the Lord wanted to warn them and warn all of us through the teaching of His Word that reproach, persecution, those are not fun words, but it's something we should be aware of the fact that as Christians at some point or another, at one form or another, we will probably be asked to suffer for our faith, to identify with the cross of Christ. With the name of Jesus Christ, which is a wonderful name and a wonderful symbol of hope, but it's also a stumbling block, a rock of offense, the Bible says. It's divisive, and people who have rejected God do not want to hear the message of Christ, so then, in turn, they do not want to hear the message of Christians. We read verse 27 through 29 about Peter where some people were saying... He, Jesus said, who, who are people saying that I am? Some said he's Elijah, risen from the dead. Some said he's John the Baptist, or one of the other prophets. And Christ said, But whom say ye that I am? In verse 29, Mark 8:29, And Peter answereth, and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ... We looked at the parallel passage where he said, blessed art thou, Simon, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. But my father, which is in heaven, that spiritual work done at salvation, where the Holy Spirit of God reveals to us and convicts us that this is the truth and that we must be born again. And he praised Peter for saying that. Verse number 30 is where we left off last week. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. It's repeating the same sense of what happened in verse 26. When he told the blind man, don't go into town. Don't tell it to any that are in the town. And we talked about the fact how Christ specifically chose sometimes to not focus on the miracles that were done. He told... His people sometimes not to tell about the miracles, not because he didn't want people to know about Jesus, but because the miracles were not the point. The point of the miracles was to point people to the fact that he was the Son of God, and that as the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It was a manifestation of his glory. It was proof that he was God, and proof that we should give weight to his words when he said, I am the only way to heaven. It would be great if Jesus could come into our life and the life of our friends and do some of the miracles that he did in the Bible. But more than hungry people needing bread miraculously provided, more than someone who's sick needing healed, more than someone even being raised from the dead is the fact that our souls need Jesus Christ to be our Savior. So sometimes... For that reason, and sometimes he said, don't tell people about the miracles because it was simply his time had not yet come. He didn't want them to come and to take him and crucify him until the fullness of time was come and God was ready. And we mentioned last week how once he even miraculously passed through the multitude who came to crucify him. Now let's get to verse 31. This is a big verse, Mark eight thirty-one, And he began to teach them. Praise the Lord that Jesus was always teaching. He was always taking the time to explain, not just to hit them over the head, but to explain, to answer their questions, to patiently allow them to stumble, but to teach them. And He teaches us as well if we are ready to learn. This is what He's teaching them. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed And after three days, rise again. This was a big deal that Jesus was teaching them. This was not simply another one of the antidotes, but he began to explain to them. We see in detail in that verse what was going to happen. He's going to be rejected of the scribes and Pharisees. He's going to be taken. He's going to be killed. But after three days, he will rise again. From the gospel accounts, how many disciples were outside of the tomb On the day Jesus rose from the grave. Not one of them. They missed the point. They forgot. And as we'll see to their response to this verse. It was not to take it in and receive it. But rather that's not a great message. Remember they were waiting for Christ to come. And to restore the kingdom. Deliver them from Roman oppression. Politically to set them free. And they kept asking him. Lord when are you going to sit on the throne. But he had to try to explain to them. Those Old Testament prophecies will be fulfilled someday in the future. But right now, I'm here not to conquer, but I'm here to suffer. I'm here to die. I'm here to pay for your sins. And someday at a future date that no man knows the day or the hour, that's when I'll return to earth to set up my kingdom. This could definitely be described, as Christ said at one point, as an hard saying, not just hard to understand, but hard to receive. All their hope was put in Christ. And now he says, let me tell you what the plan is. And they're expecting to hear how he's going to ascend and take the throne. And he says, I'm going to die. But I will raise from the dead after three days. Imagine their reaction. This isn't good news. But this was God's plan. This was the plan of the gospel. This was the heart of God that brought forth this idea Of Jesus coming to be the propitiation for our sins. He began to teach them. Jesus would suffer many things. Be rejected of the elders. Be rejected by the priests and the scribes. And be killed. And after three days rise again. I think there's also a heart to what he's saying as he says in the rest of the chapter and as he says in different places in the Gospels. He wants them to be prepared not just for the fact that Jesus is going to die but for the fact that as a disciple of Jesus Christ it's not always going to be easy. You have to be ready for persecution. The Bible does not record the death of all of the disciples but history tells us that pretty much all of them of the 11 who were left died as martyrs for Jesus Christ. God did not fail them. They did not fail. The gospel spread all the way to the other side of the world, and we're still here 2,000 years later, because they said, here come these that turn the world upside down as they gave the gospel. It kept going, and the political leaders didn't like it. The, the leaders of other religions didn't like it. The businessmen who had employees that were engaged in immoral activity, but then getting saved and coming to Christ, they didn't like it either. So they persecuted them, they hated them, but it did not stop the gospel from spreading. It's actually true throughout history in the Bible that when persecution comes to the people of God, often the church grows. But sometimes when we have it as good as we have it in America today, it's then we become apathetic, we become lazy, we take for granted what we have been given Persecution cannot stop the work of God Sometimes it actually helps it spread But Jesus wanted them to know It's not always going to be Out in the wilderness With people getting fed miraculously And blind man seeing And fun and popular To serve Jesus Christ So how Well before I say that he wanted them to know, before we move on to verse 32, and He wanted them to know what would happen to Him and that it would be the same for them. And this morning, I want to remind us, it may sometimes be that way for us. John chapter 15, 18 through 20, Jesus told His disciples, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. 2 Timothy three twelve. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You say, well, there's some people who sure don't seem to like the fact that I'm a Christian. And there are people who persecute Christians, but we have to remember the fact of the matter at the end of the day is not so much that they have a problem with Christians, it's that they have a problem with Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, Don't be surprised if they take me, put me on a cross and kill me, that they may not always just receive you with a parade. Be prepared for the fact that to be identified with Jesus Christ may sometimes mean suffering and persecution. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 5. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. That's what we're called to do. Report for duty. Do what God asks us to do. And according to Second Timothy 2, sometimes that will be to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There will to some degree at some time in your life there will be a reproach to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You may not like it, and I don't like it. I don't like conflict by nature. There's sometimes where if there's a situation at work or something going on, and I really feel like in order for something to be right, I have to a little bit stand up and address a situation and say something, and I don't really enjoy it because I just like to get along with people. But Christ said you have to be ready for the fact that as you stand for truth, there will be conflict and you cannot let that scare you off. I think that we should do all that we can to be relatable to people, to people who don't know the Lord, to spend time with them, to go play basketball with them, go do those types of things. And even as a church to be warm and welcoming and and not intentionally use a bunch of phraseology that they don't know what it means and they always feel like an outsider and we want to be relevant and reach out to people. But the fact of the matter is you can't be cool enough that the world will accept the message that you're trying to preach. There's going to be people in the town. There's going to be people in the city who if you teach biblical view of salvation... Biblical view of morality and what is the family and what is God's plan for the genders and the sexuality with which he has created us. If you simply say what the Bible says, you will get a lot of kickback, even if you're doing it lovingly, which, by the way, we should be striving to do it lovingly. We should take no pride in the fact that we're as rough as we can be or we brag about the way we are or offend as many people as we can. We're going to offend enough people just by the truth. Let's try to be kind, But we also have to say what the Bible says. And it's a message that at its heart and at its core is offensive to many people who do not want to receive Jesus Christ. There was a man who had been nominated for a government position. He was being questioned by Senator Sanders at the confirmation hearing. And they found a paper that the man had written when he was in college at a religious university. And in the paper, he wrote the position that the Christian worldview is that receiving Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. It's something that all Christians believe if you simply believe what Jesus said. He's the only way. Yet the senator who questioned him at the hearing said, so you're telling me you think that Muslims aren't going to be accepted by God, and you think that these people aren't going to be accepted by God. Is that what you really believe? And he said, sir, I simply believe as all Christians. I'm a Christian, sir. I simply believe Christian doctrine, same as a Muslim would believe Muslim doctrine. He said, I understand that you're a Christian, but it's hateful of you. And you should be disqualified from government service because in college you wrote a position paper saying Jesus is the only way to heaven. Even though our constitution has a clause that says there should be no religious test held for political office. So increasingly in America it used to be Christianity was the majority and it still isn't near as bad as the rest of the world but now there's some who are telling us well you can be a Christian and believe what you want you just can't own a business And run your business according to what the Bible teaches. Or I guess hold political office. Or run for office. And in America if the climate changes. To where do you understand that just north of the border in Canada. They will censure you if you preach from your pulpit or on a radio station. And say we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. And anything else is not right. If you say it kindly and lovingly. It doesn't matter how you do it. If you state that position. They can throw you in prison. And they have to some. What's it going to look like in the future? I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but if you think there's no chance that the winds could turn where very quickly people will come and persecute and try to lay down the law for what a church can or cannot do, I'll simply say you're not a very good student of history. Because the story of history is when a government gets powerful, sometimes they turn on the churches. It's what Hitler did. It's what Castro did. It's what's happening in Europe even today. And in Canada, they will not let you speak biblical truth. Because remember what I said, the disciples went out to preach the gospel and there were people who didn't like it. It was the government officials. It was the Romans. It was the Jews. It was the people who employed the soothsayers. Because as people started to get right with Christ, it cut into their power and it cut into their money. And they persecuted them for it. Jesus was saying be ready for that. And in the scriptures that we read, he said be ready for the fact that if they have rejected me, they will reject you. The gospel message cuts to the core of rebel sinners with conviction and they don't like it. Christians are not better than anyone. Christians, uh, if we believe the doctrine the Bible teaches, we're sinners just like they are. We're just as bad and we should not convey hatred or harshness to them. We should convey love but we simply believe we have to apply the blood of Jesus Christ or else we cannot be saved. Jesus said, I am the only way to heaven. John 14, 6, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He left no wiggle room. There's none other name given among heaven whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. That is a message that is given with clarity that calls for a decision. And to those who do not want to receive it, it is divisive. John fifteen twenty one, But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Verse 22 through 24. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works, which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus said before I came and called these Pharisees out on what they were doing wrong, they had a cloak for their sin. But after I revealed to them the truth, there's nowhere left for them to hide it. So therefore, they hate me. We've been Wednesday night studying Romans 6 and 7, and that's what the Apostle Paul said about the law of God, that without the law he had not known sin. But God revealed it to him, that sin might become exceeding sinful... I believe that evolution, the idea of evolution was created and is believed by people to this day, not because it makes sense or that science proves it primarily, but primarily because it gives people an excuse to deny the existence of God and to disobey Him. Romans chapter 1 tells us that every man and every woman looks at creation and that God Himself, it uses the two words, clearly seen through creation. We don't look this morning at a clock on the back wall or at a watch or at our our cell phone and say, I bet there was a bunch of elements that miraculously appeared with no one creating them and then something bad happened and it came together to make this cell phone. No, we look at it and it tells us evidence that someone designed it, someone worked on it, someone put some time into it. It's not a good scientific idea that everything was created by nothing that there was nothing but elements and we don't know how the elements got there and they blew up and it created a world with order and design. No, God designed the world. Yet people reject Him and they come up with excuses to disobey Him and deny Him. And again, as I said, the heart of the Christian should be a heart to care and to love about people. Pray for them because there was a time when we did not know the Lord. And God does not want to give up on anyone. He's not willing that any should perish. We often do not like this message. We do not like the thought of persecution. But Jesus said, be ready. So, Mark chapter 8, let's continue on. How did they receive this message? How did they do with it? Remember Peter, who just two verses earlier said, I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commended him, and he said, Upon this rock I'll build thy church. Thy Father hath revealed it unto thee. Mark chapter 8, and verse 32. And he spake that saying openly. What saying? Remember, verse 31. He was going to suffer. He was going to die. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. He literally just got done saying, You're God, and I believe in you. The next response to what Jesus said was, Lord, I rebuke you. You're wrong. Don't say that. The gall, the boldness, the impudence that you would turn to someone who you recognize is Jesus Christ and begin to rebuke him to say, no, Lord, what you're saying, that, that's not good. We need to come up with something different. The word rebuke in the Greek that's used here means to censure, to admonish, to charge, to rebuke. He was saying, Jesus, you're wrong. As wrong as Peter was, I wonder, have you and I ever done that? Have we ever looked to God and He asked us to bear a burden and we say, No, Lord, that, not, please, that can't be right. We have to go through persecution and we say, God, no. I hope that we would never rebuke God, but that we would yield to His will. You see, the Apostle Peter is one of my favorite Bible characters and the favorite Bible characters of many others not because he had it together but because as I look at my life and as we look at our lives and see the problems that we have and all the ways that we need to get it together we see this guy named Peter who was all over the place but God still used him and God was patient with Peter and he will be patient with us. There's multiple times where Peter just often didn't get it. And he was so hung up on this, what Christ had just told him, that he never accepted the fact that Jesus said, I'm going to die for your sins. They came to take him in the garden. The soldiers came. It was nighttime. It was cold outside. Jesus, getting ready, had been sweating great drops of blood, praying to the Father, If possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And as he suffered in prayer, he looked back to the disciples, and they were asleep. And he said, could you not watch and wait and pray with me even one hour? But they came to take him. Judas betrayed him, the soldiers. And as they came to arrest Jesus Christ, one disciple decided he was going to do something about it. And it was Peter. He took his sword. He drew his sword. And this multitude of soldiers, he takes it and hacks at a soldier named Malchus. And remember what happened? He cut his ear off. I don't know about you, but I don't think he was so good with the sword that he aimed for an ear and hit the ear. I think he was aiming for this general area and that's what happened. He was so resistant to the fact that Jesus was going to die and be conquered seemingly by the Romans than to conquer them that he literally took a sword and was ready to try and take on the whole Roman army to let Jesus go free. He had some courage, but it was misplaced zeal. Remember what happened next? Jesus patient still, loving, shook his head, did his last miracle before he headed to the cross, unless I'm forgetting one, stooped down, picked up the ear, put it back on the soldier's head, and he said, Peter, don't you know that at this very moment I could call to my father and he would send 10,000 angels to destroy the world and to set me free if that's what I had chosen to do? So Peter ran and he fled. What happened later on that cold night? He, he followed Jesus from afar off, I think it says that John did that well well they're falling from afar off they're being cowards the other ones weren't even close but Peter was warming his hands around the fire and then there was a lady and she recognized him she said hey I've seen you before you're a disciple of that Jesus guy that's inside right now where they're figuring out if he's going to get put to death or not what did he say he said no I'm not I'm not a follower of Jesus you've got me mixed up with someone else I think she might have even said, Thy speech betrayeth thee, if that was that text. I, I, I'm not remembering for sure, but she said, I've seen you, the way you talk. You're a follower of Jesus. And he said, No, I'm not. And then the third time she came back and she said, Yes, you are. I know you are. And he got angry. And he began to curse. And he said, I don't even know the man. Three times he denied Jesus Christ. Because, remember, Peter had just said to Jesus I will suffer all things with you. And Jesus said, that "Tonight, the, the, before the next morning, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. And at that moment, providentially by God, as Jesus had prophesied after he got angry and he cursed and said, I don't even know who Jesus is. He heard the rooster crowing. And in his heart, he was smitten. He ran out. And what does the text say? He wept bitterly. There were two disciples who who had done wrong on that night and both of them came to the conclusion that they were wrong. The one was Peter, the other was Judas and Judas cast his 30 pieces of silver that brought him no satisfaction back at the feet of the Pharisees because he came and he said, I've done wrong. And they said, what is that to us? We don't care. So he took the money and he threw it at their feet. But tragically, the Bible says of him, he went out and hung himself. But Peter did not do that. Peter went out and wept bitterly. And when we are at our lowest point, when we know we've messed up, there's a God in heaven who doesn't want us to give up or want to punish us. But rather, he wants us to repent. And he wants to help us get back up on our feet. And he wants to use us. And Peter repented. But even then, there came a time. Peter was so discouraged from what he had done. And then he heard that Jesus had rose from the dead. And he was ashamed that he had denied that he knew him. And he looked at the other disciples and he said, I go a fishing. Here's what I think he meant by that. Not simply, I need to relax for the afternoon. What was his profession before he met Jesus? He was a commercial fisherman. He owned his own boat. He was out there. That's what he did. He said, I go a fishing. I'm just going back to what I used to do. What did Jesus tell him? No, no. Your goal in life, your mission in life, Peter, is not to fish for fish anymore. But follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God wasn't done with Peter, even though Peter was discouraged. They sat out in the boat. And the Bible says Peter wasn't even dressed. and He was sitting out on the boat, whether he was drunk or whatever was going on. Jesus showed up on the shoreline and Peter was ashamed and he dove in the water. And then eventually they came to the time up around the fire where they were sitting. And Jesus very simply looked and said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Do you love me, your Savior, more than you love these fish? More than you love your profession? More than you love those things? He said, yes, Lord. And then he asked him again, do you love me more than these? He said, yes. And then he asked him the third time, do you love me more than these? And Peter was frustrated. He said, Lord, I know that you love me. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then go and feed my sheep. When Jesus had risen from the dead and the women saw him, he said, go tell my disciples. And one gospel says, and Peter, that I rose from the dead and that I'm coming to see him. You say, had Peter been disqualified from being a disciple? No, I think it's because Jesus wanted Peter specifically to know, even though you failed, I'm not done with you yet. Surely at this point, Peter's all 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 good, right? Then they're sitting by the fire and he looks at the apostle John and he says, What's this guy gonna do, Lord? What shall this man do? What's your plan for him? And Jesus said, Peter, if it were my will that he lived all the way till I returned, what is that to thee? I just told you, go and feed my sheep. And in the book of Acts there's, there's still some issues there where Peter separated from Gentile believers because he was feeling the pressure from the Jews to racially separate from non-Jews and the Apostle Paul withstood him to the face and he rebuked him and said, you need to fellowship with all the children of God, not just the Jews. Don't let people intimidate you, but you know what ends up happening? You end up also in the book of Acts the further along it goes, not seeing a guy named Peter who's all over the place, but one who is a rock one who's steady, one who is a pillar of the church and faithful unto death and history tells us the story goes that when they went to crucify Peter he said crucify me upside down I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as they crucified my Lord he was faithful unto death he served Jesus Christ and on the day of Pentecost 3,000 people got saved, baptized, joined the church on the same day it wasn't Andrew and it wasn't John and it wasn't anybody else who preached but God used Peter To stand up and preach. In Acts chapter 10, we read Wednesday night, the Lord showed Peter a vision of the animals coming down from heaven in a blanket and the ones that used to be unclean to Jews. And the Lord was trying to teach Peter to say the ceremonial Old Testament law has passed away. The dietary restrictions don't apply. But most importantly, it was to show Peter there's a Gentile man named Cornelius who needs to be saved. Go preach to him even though he's not a Jew. And Peter has a dream and the, the vision comes down. And in the dream, God says to him, rise, kill, and eat of the animals that are there and the next three words that Peter says he says not so Lord for I'm a Jew and I've never eaten that he rebuked Jesus and in the book of Acts he turns and he says not so Lord again I wonder if you and I have ever stopped and said not so Lord I don't want to surrender to what your will is there's something that seems better to me I don't want to give that up I don't want to suffer that I don't want to go through that but let us yield to the will of God Let us not rebuke the Lord. Let us not tell him not so. But as Jesus said, Not my will, thine be done. We won't preach much longer this morning if if you'll stay with me here. Jesus loved Peter. Jesus was not ready to throw him away. But Jesus also loved him enough to correct him. Revelation 3.19, Jesus said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore, And repent. If you love your child and they're trying to run and play in the street, you don't really love them unless you say, hey, don't do that and enforce it and make a rule and correct them and rebuke them until they learn it. And Jesus says to the church in Revelation 3, if I love you, I will rebuke you. Let's look at verse 33, Mark 8, 33. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter the exact same word that was used for what Peter did to him to censure to admonish to charge to rebuke Peter said Jesus no no you don't need to die we'll protect you we won't let you take him and Jesus turned around and said no no Peter you need to listen to what I'm telling you and get the point and not argue with God he rebuked Peter saying get thee behind me Satan for thou savorest not the things that be of God but the things that be of men. Satan? Was Peter possessed by Satan? Was he indwelt? What was the deal here? No, he had just given a profession of Jesus Christ. The Lord endorsed his salvation, saying that God had revealed it unto him. But what Peter was saying and was doing at that moment, it was speaking for Satan at that moment against God's plan against what was just taught in verse 31, against the fact that Jesus Christ would die, be buried, and raised the third day according to the Scriptures. That was God's plan. But Peter said, no, I reject it. And Jesus rebuked him. Remember, Peter was looking for him to restore the kingdom, and he rebuked Jesus, but Jesus turned around and rebuked Peter and said, do not speak against the fact that Christ would suffer. Do not speak against the fact that He would die, that He would rise from the dead the third day, be the payment for our sins, the propitiation, the payment of our salvation. And do not speak against the fact that this suffering would also fall to His followers. That's what Peter was rebuking. And Jesus in turn rebuked him. When he rebuked him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, Jesus said, For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. The word savorest there means to be minded, to be like-minded, to be in agreement. And he said, Peter, you're not being Christ-minded. You're not being in agreement with what I said, but rather you're savoring the things of men. Peter was in his flesh, he was being immature, he was being worldly, he was not being spiritual, and that's what Jesus was saying in 1 John and in the Gospels that sometimes we're told, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The friendship of the world is enmity with God, which is strife and strong strife. I don't think, and if you look at the words of what the Bible's teaching, it's not just saying being in the world, going to a restaurant that the world goes to, or wearing the clothes that the world wears. It's talking about the people who have rejected Christ as Savior, the systems that they come up with, the way that they are thinking. And God says, do not be in agreement with the world. Do not love the world because the friendship of the world is at odds with, With God. But in that moment, he said to Peter, You're savoring not spiritual things, but you're savoring the things that be of men. And I wonder how many times in my life I've savored, I've enjoyed, I've been in agreement with, I've had my focus on not the things of God, but the things that are in the world. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a basketball game and going out to eat and doing those things, but I wonder how many times in my life my focus has been on all these things that I'm enjoying, and I might have missed what the Lord had for me to do that day. Let us endeavor to be people that savor not the things that be of men, but the things that be of God. The word antichrist is used, and it says in the future there's going to be this figure world leader named the Antichrist but First John also says there are even now many Antichrists gone out into the world and Antichrist simply means against Christ or in place of Christ anything that someone puts up that is against what Jesus said or is a substitute for Jesus Christ is Antichrist and is against him and I'm in my flesh and so are you And we're going to battle this thing till the day we die and try to mature, try to be more like Christ, try to say, God, help me savor the things that be of you, not the things that be of men. But I told you my first week I was preaching, your new pastor is a sinner. Your new pastor loses his temper sometimes and has to apologize. Your new pastor is very much human like you are. And we need daily to remind ourselves to come back to the Word and to come back to God and say, like Peter did, Lord, I messed up today. And to know the heart of God is not to throw us away and be done with us, but to forgive us, to love us, to help us, to use us, to rebuke us if we need it, to encourage us when we need that. But the heart of God is to show mercy to each and every one of us. Don't be discouraged when you fail. Peter failed. But he was still used by Jesus Christ. Jesus was saying, this is what the gospel means for me. This is what's going to happen. What he said in verse 31. Now, what does the gospel mean for you? Verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We'll pick it up next week with this verse and by looking at Luke chapter number 14 where the multitudes were following Christ and he turned with them with some very strong words about what it means to be the disciple of Jesus Christ. I used a phrase this morning in the announcement times, discipleship, material, becoming a disciple. That word means to be a learner, to be a pupil, to be a student, to be a follower. And if we are to be followers of Jesus Christ... He says we have to be willing in verse number 3 to do these things. Deny ourself, take up our cross, and follow me. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to savor not the things that be of men, but the things that be of God. To live a life of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is to live a life not of selfishness, but of selflessness and surrender. And deny Yourself. I still struggle with that. Take up your cross. That's a burden we will have to bear. And follow me is following Jesus Christ, following the principles that His Word teaches, going where He calls us to go. I'll leave us simply this morning with the thought we're not being honest with God if we tell Him we want to be His follower, we want to learn what His Word says, but we turn and kick against and fight against the idea that maybe persecution will come and maybe there's something in my heart that I might have to change. David prayed in the Psalms, Lord, show me, teach me, if there be some wicked way in me. David knew his heart enough, knew that he was enough of a sinner that he said, Lord, there's probably something in here that's wrong, that's off, that I don't even know about and I'm asking you and inviting you to reveal it to me so that I can change And so that I can get better. It's not all doom and gloom serving Jesus Christ. He promised he will be with us to the end. But we do have to remember that to follow Jesus Christ. Means we are willing to identify with that death on the cross. And with that name that is not always a popular name. Let us pray Heavenly Father as we look to the future as a church body this morning. I pray your work would be done in our heart. I pray we would look to you, God, and every one of us would look at our heart this morning and say, Oh God, help me savor the things that be of God, not the things that be of men. Help me not to get so lost in the work week and the school and the projects and the movies and the restaurants and the ball games that I begin to think that this world is my home, for we know that this is simply where we are traveling for a little while. It's where we temporarily have our citizenship, but our true home is in heaven. At this moment, the music will play. Let's continue in an attitude of prayer. You can come to the altar if you'd like to stretch your legs or to kneel, or you can pray in your seat, and let's ask God to bless us as a church, bless the changes, bless our relaunch Sunday, and in our own heart that we would grow to be more like Him. Let's have a time of prayer.